0: Um, So we're in this new series, uh, we're starting this new series, it's called The New Humanity. Now, we had talked about maybe calling it The New Adventism, but what I began to recognize is that Adventism is really only, well, it's about less than 1% of any given population, and so that kind of makes it exclusive, the conversation exclusive, and we want to make sure we're opening the conversation to anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and who wants to believe in Jesus Christ. And so it's important that we start out, and there's one basic premise through this whole seven-week series there's one thing that you need to remember, and it's this. As God interacts with humanity, something new is made. It's pretty simple. As God interacts with humanity, something new is made. Something new comes from that interaction, from this integration that we have with God. We are made new, and we are becoming new through the work of Christ in us. Scripture says it again and again. Um, We start with Isaiah 65, 17. It says, look, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth. No one will even think about the old ones anymore. Have you ever bought a new car? You like buy, not a, not a new used car, that's a new car. When you buy a new car, you don't think about your old car anymore, except to say how bad your old car was right? That's the way it happens. This is saying no one will even think about the old heaven and the old earth because God is making something new. This is a prophetic word. Isaiah always looks forward, but also Isaiah looks to what's going on at the same time as well. Then we have Revelation 21.5, which says, um, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he's right in the midst of the explanation of the new heaven, of the new Jerusalem, and of the bride of the Lamb, the new earth as well. He's right in the middle of that. Then we jump back to Isaiah, take take a look at Isaiah 43, 19, where it says, for I'm about to do something new, and you've heard me preach on this one before. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I'll make a pathway through the wilderness And I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. This is such a great verse and such a good verse to hold on to as we move into 2019. So we know that God creates. And God creates in two different ways. The first way that God creates is he creates what's called ex nihilo, or out of nothing, God creates. There's nothing there, and God makes something be there. It's like like some of those sci fi movies where they just stand in a machine and it kind of creates anything you want. Um, But this is God, so the scale's a little bit bigger. You know, planets, universes, that sort of thing. There's no machine for a universe, I don't think. Um, God creates ex nihilo. He makes something out of nothing because he's God and that's what can do. No matter becomes matter through God. The second way that he uh, creates something new is that he transforms what is old into something new as well. His interaction with us is always transformative. Anytime God is in the mix, something is changing. Anytime God is in the mix, something is moving. Anytime something is in the mix, something is progressing. And this interaction, it is always progressive. It's not stasis. So when we talk about the new humanity, he's not simply making a humanity that is based on, I don't know, pick a number, 1844 or 1888, or let's go be even earlier, uh, 325 to the Council of Nicaea, or even earlier or to 29 AD where we think there's the death, resurrection, um, death, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. He's not just making old things. He is actually creating something new in us. And that way, we are not new atoms. He's not simply going back to the original blueprint. He's creating something new in us. In fact, we are new atoms, I was so happy when I wrote that. (laughs) I thought, well, that's good. That's good. Thank you, English language, for being ridiculous. That is, we're being made into new beings with a new outlook, a new worldview, and a new understanding of what it means to be human. So what is the new humanity? It's fair for us to ask that question. What is it that we are being made into? How can we tell and who are we becoming? That's what this series is all about. But we'll start simply. I believe that the new humanity is 100% connected, fully connected to God. Fully connected. But let's start there. So we're connected right now. We can take out our phones. We're connected to the people who want to text us, the people who want to email us, our Facebook accounts, our Instagram accounts, whatever, you name it. We are connected to those things. That's not the kind of connection that I'm talking about. In fact, I'm actually reading a book called Overload that talks about our network lives that we live now, how we're never, ever disconnected. But this is not exactly what I'm talking about. The first thing that we are fully connected to is God. The new humanity is fully connected to God. This is where it begins. Being connected to God is the beginning of any sort of transformation. Because we were never meant to be separated from God. There was no walls in the Garden of Eden because there was no need for any separation and in the cool of the evening God would come down he would walk with Adam and Eve as scripture says you see we're the ones who put up walls when we made a mistake we're the ones who got locked out of places and we're the ones who still put up walls we're the ones who are still trying to go through a certain way to get to God and we don't have to anymore you know, there was a sacrificial system that was put up so that we'd be connected to God again. That's all been done away with, with Jesus Christ. And in fact, me as a spiritual leader, if I stand in the way between you and God, I'm actually sin. I'm actually anathema. I should not be doing that because you don't need me to get to God because God is accessible to you through the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus Christ left him here when he left. He said, his spirit will come to guide you. A guider, a guidance, a count- not a guidance counselor, a counselor. <laughs> a counselor will come to guide you, right? That's what's been given to us in this. So there's nothing that stands in the way between you and God. We are to be fully connected. The new humanity is fully connected with God. The The new humanity is fully connected to one another. You see, we begin to see people differently. We're not to see separations from others. We're all in this together. There is this deep insistence that people are people, And we are all doing this together, trying to find our way towards meaning, life, and love. Because if grace is available to all, then we must be for all as well. There's a basic assumption that we're all humans, and humans all bleed the same. There's no gender, there's no race, we're all one under Jesus Christ. And if that's the way we're going to live, then we got to be really open to new conversations and to new relationships and to relationships with people who don't look like us and don't smell like us and don't eat the same things that we do. And even though we may have fear around that, because listen, we really like to be important, right? We like to be different. We like to call ourselves certain names and certain terms so that we find ourselves in in a superior position to others. But in the new humanity, there is none of that. You're a human and Jesus loves you. That's it. That's what you get. The third thing is that a new hum- the new humanity is fully connected to reality. And this one's interesting to me. What does this mean? That we are people who don't just dream of heaven as if it's some supernatural escape route for the life God has for us, but we are connected to what is happening on earth as it is in heaven. That means we look around and go, oh, I exist here. I should probably be a participant in what's going on in life in what's going on in civic life, and what's going on in, in, in compassion, and what's going on in church, and what's going on in my family. I've got to be a participant because I understand that I'm fully connected to my reality. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about seven different types of attributes of the new humanity. The first one is dreamers, then unifiers, worshipers, learners, innovators, storytellers, and Sabbath keepers. And today we're talking about dreamers because we are dreamers. And I don't know, some of you have probably been called dreamers in your life, right? You're the kid, if you were like me, sixth grade, looking out, everybody else is doing math, you're looking out at the playground, and you're dreaming about what life would be like if you were at recess right now. (laughs) Yeah, you know. And that teacher comes by and is like, Tim, math. And you're like, but my head's out there. I'm progressing. I'm way ahead of you. I'm at recess already. And she's like, no, you're not you are supposed to be doing math. And I was like, I can't. I don't want to. I was always called a dreamer. Dreaming of the way things can be, of the way things should be, of the way perhaps that they will be. Now, some of you are not dreamers. Some of you are dream killers. (laughs) All right, but let me say it nicely. You're the practical ones, right? You're the ones who like, when somebody says, hey, what about this? You're like, that won't work. And by the way, dreamers always marry those people. We always do. Right? And it's, it's honestly, it's probably good that we do. Um, I, I married a very practical woman. She's beautiful. She's brilliant, way smarter than me. And, and I will start to dream, and her first words out of her mouth are, how? And I'm like, no. No. No, like I don't know how, that's not the point of dreaming. The point of dreaming is there and then we figure out how. Like my wife is so practical, we'll go to a Marvel superhero movie and the first words out of her mouth is, that can't happen. <laughs> no, it can't happen. Cause it's not real, but we're just suspending disbelief right now and we're leaning into this and she's like, I can't do that. I, First of all, why would they wear such tight clothing? I'm like, listen, I, if my body looked like that, I would wear tight clothing. Um, which, that's when she calls me a dreamer. Um, no, then what happens is she falls asleep and weighs 16.95 on the movie ticket. But it's okay, because I eat all our popcorn, so it evens out. We have a thing. We've been married for a long time. But we are dreamers and the reason why people, the the practical people are concerned, let's say that, are concerned about dreamers is that dreamers push the horizon. Dreamers look beyond the fences. To see further, to dream beyond what can be. Do you ever remember when you were little? I don't know, some of you probably grew up in these wonderful rural expanses. I grew up in La Sierra, so like we had a backyard. And uh, do you remember looking into your neighbor's backyard for the first time? You like climb over and you realize like there's a whole nother world over there you didn't even know about. Like your parents had never told you that life exists outside of your backyard. And so I climbed over. I remember looking like their yard was perfectly groomed. And I was like, oh, I know plants could grow in perfect balls. That's amazing. I went down. I was like, Mom, Dad, why are, like, why are, what's, what's, their backyard seems beautiful. And they're like, yeah, they don't have kids. <laughs> a phrase often repeated in my house. Um, when you're a dreamer, you see more. You see further. And we, Jesus was a dreamer. Because he said things like, the kingdom of heaven is like... These statements that Jesus made show us that he dreamed of what it could be like. He was trying to find words that would express the reality he already knew. So he said stuff like, the kingdom of heaven is like the wheat and the tares. The kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. It's like the hidden treasure. It's like the pearl of great price. He used all these metaphors so that we could understand what in the world he was dreaming about. Jesus was a dreamer but his dreams were not like ours, because we all dream differently. Some people have vivid, amazing dreams. Some people have dreams that you can't remember. I don't really remember my dreams, but we have this dog, her name's Vespa. She's 11 pounds. Little Italian Greyhound, beautiful, dumb, (laughs) dumb. But, um, But when she dreams, she'll lay down in the middle of the room. When she dreams, she starts to run in her dreams and snarl and bark. She's chasing something. And I'm pretty sure she thinks she's a pit bull or a Rottweiler in those dreams because she's going after her. We laugh. We just stand around and laugh. It's the funniest thing ever because this is the most frightened animal on the planet. She just stands and shakes all the time. But when she's asleep, her dreams make her into something different. We all dream differently. Jesus dreamed of what he knew. We dream of what we hope for. You see, Jesus was trying to give us a vision of how things might be, of what a real kingdom reality is like. We dream of how we hope for things to be. A real text for today that we're leaning into is Acts of the Apostles, chapter two, verse 17. And if you know anything about Pentecost, you know that this is part of it. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Now he's quoting, he's quoting from Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. It sounds very much the same. And understand that there's lots of theology in this. All right, this text has a great deal of theology when we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what prophecy really is, the cessation of gifts. Did they stop back in Pentecost? Do they still happen now? I'm not going to get into all that, but we'll talk about the future for a little bit and how we approach the future, whether we dream or not. The problem with future is that we're not there and we don't know it. And the problem with future is that we are usually wrong. Don't believe me? Lord Kelvin, the British mathematician, he's a physicist and president of the British Royal Society in 1895, said heavier than air flying machines are impossible. Didn't tell two guys from Ohio. (laughs) Business week, 2nd of August, 1968. With over 50 foreign cars already on sale here, the Japanese auto industry isn't likely to carve out a big slice of the U.S. market for itself. How many of us own Japanese cars? You don't have to raise your hands, but I do. Harvard Economic Society, 16th of November, 1929, a severe depression like that of 1920 and 1921 is outside the range of possibility. It had happened October 29, 1929. They were 17 days late. It had already happened. Thomas J. Watson, chairman of IBM in 1943, said, I think there is a world market for about five computers. (laughs) I have five computers. (laughs) Thomas Alva Edison, inventor of the phonograph, 1880, he said the phonograph, it's not of any commercial value at all. This is the one I love. Decca Recording Company executive in 1962. He said, we don't like their music. Groups of guitars are on their way out. (laughs) Yep, it was the Beatles. We've rarely been good at telling the future. But perhaps that's not what prophecy is for, that's not what visions and dreams are for, Are just an explanation of the future. The text says, young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. Young men will look to the way things might be, can be, should be, and old men will remember the way things were when they were better. By the way, I don't really know the difference between young men and old men. I feel like I'm living in the liminal space between them, <laughs> right, because I'm not sure I look like an old man, I feel like a young man. My dad used to um, used to come and substitute teach for me when I was as I was teaching at um, Azusa Pacific sometimes, and I would come back. And at first, it was about ten years ago I started. I guess seven, eight, nine. I don't remember. Anyway, when he started going there, I would come back the next week and say, "Hey, how did you like my dad? Was you know was it a good a good class?" And they're like, "Oh, he's amazing. He's brilliant. He's so smart, so statuesque, such a wisdom." And, and somewhere a couple years ago, I brought him into the class and I came back the next week and I said, hey, how is my dad expecting to hear these same things? And they said, oh, he's so cute. And I thought, old man, right? He had passed the line. So if, when, if you're an old man, if you're a man and somebody goes, you look so cute, you're old. Super nice way of saying you're old, <laughs> I guess, Um, The problem is, the problem is what we always want to do is we always want to go back to the good old days, right? And I don't know why we always want to do this. When I was growing up, we had a book that kind of made its rounds around the house for a few years, and it was um, called The Good Old Days. They were terrible. And if I could show you what they were, it's about the industrialization of America and how incredibly abhorrent the ways that people lived in that time frame after the Civil War into the new century. Um, It was disgusting. Life was disgusting. And the problem is when we think about prophecy as only being something ahead or something behind and forget about the prophetic word that God has for us today, we forget that perhaps the old days are yet to come and are happening now, the good old days. Remember, he said on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was dreaming of a day when heaven and earth collide in his people, and you are his people continues on, in those days I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. Yes. Okay, so Seventh-day Adventists have used this text to validate Ellen White's prophetic gift, just so you know. But we kind of said, well, that's, that's it. It's all over now. The visions have stopped here. So I guess we got to ask the question, does God still give us visions of what things might be? Because, because if it all stopped back then, then I don't know what we're doing. We should go back to the good old days. You know those good old days, you know, right after the Civil War, when everyone was loving life. No, there's no good old days. There's only the days that we've been given. See, but the text went on and it says, and I will cause wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. And this is where we got stuck because that's way more exciting. Than anything else. So we're like, you know what? Hey, that's awesome. This is a riddle. Let's figure it out. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. It continues on. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. So we started looking around for blood moons, eclipses, and things like that. And guess what? We found them all. And we were like, there you go. Right? Except we didn't keep reading. Because the next text says this, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the point of the text. Not about looking for signs, not about looking for wonders, even though of course they're all there because God is always moving. But this is the real point, not the timekeeping, but the promise that we can dream of something different and all be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the question is this, can you dream of a world where everyone you know has a chance to live into the reality of Jesus? And if you could, would you talk about it? Would you show other people about it? Would you tell them of your dreams? Would you prophesy about what things could be like? And I know you're like, hey, easy, I don't want to be a prophet. (laughs) When you talk about what the kingdom of God is like, you're prophetic because you are showing people what the world can be not just what the world is. What would that world look like? If God gave you a vision for the church, if he gave you a vision for those people of faith, if he gave you a vision for Crosswalk, what would it look like? Would it be filled with compassion, with mercy, with joy, with freedom, with grace, with worship? Or would we be right? And let's be right. But let's have those things too. Because the greatest of these things is love. More importantly, if you can see it, how can we build it? Friends, our faith tradition has always been filled with dreamers. And when we say there is nothing more to dream about, we stifle the creativity of what Jesus can do in the world through us. We literally go, "No, ah, that's it. We're done. There's nothing more. Like it's going to be like this forever." What do you dream about? What do you dream about for this world? For your kids? for your grandkids, for your church. Do you speak of it when you see it? Or are we stuck with what we've been given? Are we stuck with the way things are? Is this it? Or is there something else that we can aspire to, to create, to develop, to move beyond in our world, in our lives, and in our church? Listen, as God interacts with humanity, something new is made. This is the basic premise of this whole series. And if we stop dreaming about what the world can be, dreaming about what the church can be, what our families can be, what our spiritual lives can be, if we stop leaning into the breakthrough that God is going to give us, if we stop all of that, then you're done. You're done. We finished. Now we just twiddle our thumbs waiting for Jesus to come or get really weird theology about how we can make him come. Finish the work. God finishes the work. We live into Jesus. God interacts with humanity and something new is made. So if God's interacting with you, if you have Him in your heart, we just baptized three people at the 1030 service. God is moving. Amen. Amen. God is moving on three young people's hearts. They're changing, they are being changed. You are being changed if you have accepted Jesus. You are leaning into the new reality of who this God is and and what this world is through us, through him. If we think that it's all over, if we think that nothing more can be done, nobody's gonna get a dream, nobody's gonna get a vision, nobody's gonna be told by God what things can be. And yeah, let's be absolutely biblical about it because people say crazy things. And we hold those things up against Scripture. And if they're not real, then we move on. But I got to believe that God still gives people dreams of what their life and what their church and what their family can be. Right? And maybe the word for you is not the word for me. That's how that works sometimes. But I do need to lean into the idea that God is still moving. And God is still creating a new humanity that values different things. Doesn't value just stasis, but is progressive because God is creating a new you and a new me every day. His promises are made new every day. So are you. Every moment of every day, every minute, every second, every breath is God doing something in you. It is the work of a lifetime and it is the work of a moment. All that at the same time because God is the paradox we believe in. The overwhelming, misunderstood, and hard to understand God who loves us, even though he shouldn't. So what are we going to do? We're going to sit, we're going to wait, and go, well, when you come, I guess we'll finish it off. Or are we going to believe that he's still going to give us something? Something that we can do, something that we can see, so that we can tell the world that it doesn't have to be this way. We are not stuck with what we've been given. We've been given so much more, because we've been given heaven on earth. Because when heaven and earth collide in you, things change. Your outlook changes, your worldview changes, the people around you change, even though they've stayed the same. The thing that you put your hand to every single day becomes something new and sacred. The holy ground that you walk every day, you begin to take off your shoes because you know that something new is happening, that something has to change. If you want 2019 to be the same as 2018, go for it. But I believe God has more for us. I believe that we are headed in a direction and God wants to express himself through us by making us into the new humanity. Looking around the room and going, I know you because I'm just like you. You don't look like me. We don't even speak the same language. I don't care. We're brothers and sisters because we have Jesus Christ in our midst. And we will move and do what God wants us to do because we've told him that he can have all of it. It's why we dunk you all the way down in the baptism so you can know it's all you. It's a metaphor. This is what we've been given. This is what we do. This is what makes faith exciting. I have faith that God will continue to give us dreams and visions of what things can be. And we do it with wisdom, we do it with, with, with scripture, and we do it with, you know, the movement of the Holy Spirit where God is taking us, but man, God is still moving. And 2019 will be amazing, and we will become more fully connected with God because we open up our hearts and say, Lord, give me a breakthrough, walk me through this, because I want to see you, and I want to know you, and I want to be with you. And I want to tell everyone around me because I can't hold it in because it is overflowing from who I've become in you. And when I feel like I'm empty, you will fill me up. And when I feel like I'm tired, you will let me soar. Because this is what God does. And I think for too long, we just forgot to invite him to the party. We were just like, hey, man, it's good. We got this. We don't got this. He's got this. And he's got us and He holds us, and this is why we are community together. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, your grace, your mercy, your passion, and your power, may it all be manifest in us. May the world be a better place because we're here. If not, close our doors, empty the room, um, you know, bulldoze down these buildings because we're not doing what you want us to do. But Lord, if you give us a moment, may we please live into the grace that you have for us. And Lord, may we may we see the way things can be. And we move the world towards that in heaven as it is on earth. But on earth as it is in heaven. All for you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.